Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bruiser Nation members of all ages, does everybody know what time it is? It's Bruise Cruise time! Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to take a ride on the Bruise Cruise. This week, we're giving you a nice Bruise Cruise macabro edition of our show. We're going to start trying to be a little bit more informative here on the Bruise Cruise podcast. I don't have all of the answers, but I do know the great listeners I have, members of the Bruiser Nation, will greatly appreciate the the weirdness I bring to some of these shows. At least I think you'll appreciate it. So what we're going to do is we're going to start trying to do more episodes a week, do a little bit less of the commentary. Now, we still will be bringing you pro wrestling for your ears. However, we're just going to tone that down a little bit Hold it to big time matches. Probably gonna do Daniel Bryan versus Adam Page two, the finals of the TBS title tournament, and and just big time matches. I think from this point forward, and and start to branch out a little bit. See if we can't keep growing our listener base here and our members of the Bruiser Nation. We got people all over America listening to the Bruise Cruise podcast, which I greatly, greatly appreciate. We got people in Ireland, a little bit of people in Canada. And so I want to start growing that listener base. I mean, most of my listeners are in Ohio, where I'm from, New Jersey. Thank you so much for listening. Washington, Virginia, Michigan, California, Illinois, Texas, and Oregon seems to be the United States of America that tend to listen to the Bruce Cruz podcast. So we want to branch out a little bit, see if we can't get some more listeners around the country and around the world. Leinster. Ireland listens to the Bruce Cruise podcast. Thank you so much, listeners in Ireland. Hesse, Germany, and Thuringia. I think I said that right. Maybe. Thank you so much for listening to the Bruce Cruise podcast. And we're just going to keep trying to bring you great, important, informative, and of course, pro wrestling for your ears. So this episode, the Bruce Cruise podcast, Macabro Edition I found this little tidbit here in the story that I want to do today on Only in Your State. It gave me like seven crazy unsolved phenomena, mysteries, crimes that happened in Ohio. This one really jumped out at me. Kind of terrible. So sit tight, relax. I am using a lot of stuff from uh, Wikipedia to give me this information. So bear with me. The Cleveland Torso Murderer. What? Not much more can get macabre about that. Am I right, Bruiser Nation? Visit BruiserNationProductions.com for all our awesome content and links to our merch partners. And the Cleveland Torso Murderer, also known as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, unidentified serial killer active in Cleveland, Ohio in the 1930s. 
His killings were characterized by the dismemberment of 12 known victims and the disposal of their remains in the impoverished neighborhood of Kingsbury Run. Most victims came from an area east of Kingsbury Run called the Roaring Third or Hobo Jungle, known for its bars, gambling dens, brothels, and vagrants, which means he used crimes of opportunity, people that didn't probably have a lot of family that would be looking for them. So he took the easy way and, well, I mean... What killer doesn't take the easy way? I mean, let's get serious for a minute, Bruiser Nation. But this guy sounds like he was something else. And I, I'm honestly can't believe I've never even heard of this before. This is wild. Despite an, an investigation of the murders, which at one time led by Elliot Ness, the Cleveland's public safety director. Yeah, that Elliot Ness. That's wild. Famous for being a prohibition agent and his efforts for bringing down Al Capone and enforcing prohibition in Chicago. The Untouchables, a movie I hope that you have all checked out. If not, you probably should. I haven't watched it in a long time. Of course, I believe I watched the, uh, the remake that came out years and years ago back to the Cleveland torso murderer. He was never apprehended. Elliot Ness, like I said, was the Cleveland's public safety director. I didn't even know that that's wild. Cause my mom's from Cleveland. So you would think that would have came up maybe once or twice, but you know, what are you going to do? He's, they have attributed 12, Murders to the Cleveland Torso murderer. Recent research has shown that there may have been as many as 20, but the 12 that they can confirm from this one unidentified serial killer were all killed between 1935 and 1938. It's no wonder they didn't catch anybody. Forensic science has come such a long way since then, almost almost a hundred years ago, honestly. Bruiser Nation, raise those anchors and get ready to wear the official merch of Bruiser Nation Productions. Visit BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com and show the world your love of the Bruiser Nation as you go about your day in style. We have Bruise Cruise Podcast and to the turnbuckle tees, hoodies, jackets, shoes, bags, and even pillows. You heard that right. Pillows. That's BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com once again, BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com. And remember, Bruiser Nation, stay good, because I'm always good. But some investigators, including lead detective Peter Mary Lowe, believe that there may have been 13 or more victims in Cleveland, Youngstown, and Pittsburgh, all between the 1920s and the 1950s. 
Two strong candidates for the initial list of those killed are the unknown victim known of the Lady of the Lake, found on September 5th, 1934, and Robert Robertson, found on July 22nd, 1950. Now, his victims were usually drifters. Identities were never determined. There were a few exceptions, two, three, and eight. They were identified as Edward Andrazi, Florenzo Polillo, and possibly Rose Wallace in that order. The victims appeared to be lower-class individuals, easy prey, in Depression-era Cleveland. Many were known as working poor who had nowhere else to live but the ramshackle Depression-era shanty towns or Hoovervilles in the area known as the Cleveland Flats. The Cleveland Flats... Mixed-use industrial entertainment and increasingly residential area of the Cuyahoga Valley. That That's it now. But back then, in the Depression, like many places, you know, probably, you know, like it said, shanty towns, tent villages, and things like that, because people just, the Great Depression says it all. The torso murderer beheaded and often dismembered their victims. We say there because we don't know who did it. Occasionally severing the victim's torso in half or severing their appendages. In many cases, the cause of death was the decapitation or dismemberment itself. What a gross, awful, terrible human being. I mean, all these serial killers are, but dear Lord, decapitating someone or dismembering someone to death is probably one of the most heinous ways that you could murder somebody. I mean, it says here most of the male victims were castrated. Some victims showed evidence of chemical treatment being applied to their bodies. Many victims were found after a considerable period of time following their deaths, occasionally as far as a year after being murdered in an era where forensic science was largely in its infancy. These factors further complicated identification, especially since the heads were often undiscovered. That shit is wild, Bruiser Nation. Holy shit. This person, serial killer, that they're not sure who did it, Probably a dude. I mean, come on. Let's get serious for a minute. Not many women would go this far. Uh, looks like he just hated, just hated people with a passion. I mean, males in particular. And you know, that probably stems from something in his childhood. As I'm, I'm no expert. I do listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. But it seems like that a lot of... These psychopaths lead very rough childhoods and are poorly, poorly mistreated as an upbringing. And so I would only assume that whether this was a man or a woman, that they were heavily mistreated and possibly, possibly molested as a child to to show this much hate for people 
is is something else. During the time of the official murders, Elliot Ness held position of public safety director of Cleveland, a position with authority over the police department and ancillary services. I would assume that's deputies or Oh, including the fire department. I just needed to read a little bit further. While he did have little to do with the investigation, his posthumous reputation as leader of the untouchables, untouchables has made him an irresistible character in modern torso murder lore. Ness did contribute to the arrest and interrogation of one of the prime suspects, Dr. Francis E. Sweeney, So there you go. Dr. Francis Sweeney was a prime suspect. In addition, he personally conducted raids into hobo shanties and eventually burned down Kingsbury Run, from which the killer took his or her victims in an attempt to stop the murders. That's a wild way to try to stop a murderer. Burned down what little these people had. God bless America, the police back then. Cheese and rice. At one point in time, the killer taunted Ness by placing the remains of two victims in full view of his office in City Hall. So not only was this dude a psychopath, but he enjoyed what he did and taunted the police Every second of, well, maybe not every second of the way, but once it got to a certain point, he started taunting Elliot Ness and the other police. And they never solved this crime. Like I uh, said before, most researchers consider there to be 12 victims. New evidence suggests a woman dubbed the Lady of the Lake could be included. Only two victims were positively identified. The other ten were six John Does and four Jane Does. So he murdered quite a few people. Almost the same amount as men as women. So, dear God. So the first identified victim, Edward Andresy, he was found... On September 23rd, 1935, in the Jack Jackus Hill area of Kingsbury Run, near East 49th and Praha Avenue, found lying dead about 30 feet from John Doe 1. He had been decapitated and emasculated. His head was recovered. They're estimating two to three days between his death and his discovery, So somewhere around September 19th or 20th is what they thought that uh, Edward Andresy was murdered. In the same area, John Doe number one, which they do believe is the first victim, same area, male body never identified, emasculated and decapitated, head recovered, skin was treated with a chemical agent that caused it to become reddish and leathery. They initially estimated 10 days, later revised to three to four weeks. So the end of August, early September is when this murder spree began back in 1935. Victim three, Florence Genevieve Genevieve Palillo, also known as Genevieve Martin, January 26th, 
between January 26th and February 7th. Between 2315 and 2325 East 20th Street in downtown Cleveland and 1419 Orange Avenue. Her body had been dismembered. Head was recovered two to four days between finding her body an estimated death. I'm, I'm assuming it has such a range of the date found because she was dismembered and quite possibly spread around. John Doe number two, the tattooed man, John June 5th, 1936, decapitated while alive. Oh my God. The head was recovered. John Doe three, another victim dismembered while still alive. Head recovered. The unidentified male body was the only known West Side victim in the Big Creek area of Brooklyn, west of Cleveland. John Doe 4, only half the torso was found. Nothing remained below the hips. The head was never found, nor the body identified. And how could they? I mean, even with I mean, with DNA now, we'd probably be able to identify who this was, but maybe not. I mean, if this person was never in the system, never did DNA tests, never did you know the whole new 23andMe thing, we might have the same issue. An unidentified female body was found at the same spot as the 1934 non-canonical victim nicknamed the Lady of the Lake. Head was never found February 23, 1937. Another Jane Doe, the only black victim, the body was decapitated and missing a rib. The head was recovered. Another John Doe, Kaya Rigger. Cuyahoga River body of this male was recovered. The head was never found. This guy was an absolute sadist and a monster. Another Jane Doe, the third Jane Doe, April 8th, only the victim's lower leg was recovered. On May 2nd, a human thigh was discovered floating in the river to the east of the West 3rd Street Bridge. After searching, they found a burlap sack containing the victim's headless torso cut in two halves, another thigh, and a left foot. The head and the rest of the body were never found. And this was the only victim to have drugs in her system. And doesn't really... Let me click on this little link here. What does it say? What drugs? Nation, raise those anchors and get ready to wear the official merch of Bruiser Nation Productions. Visit BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com and show the world your love of the Bruiser Nation as you go about your day in style. We have Bruise Cruise Podcast and to the turnbuckle tees, hoodies, jackets, shoes, bags, and even pillows. You heard that right. Pillows. That's BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com once again, BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com. And remember, Bruiser Nation, stay good, because I'm always good. 
Bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. It doesn't say what drugs. I'm not going to dig through that because it's going to take me a minute to find it. But dear God, I mean, was that drugs that she decided to induce to try to take some of this Great Depression era terribleness away? Or did he give her drugs to make her more pliable and easy to deal with? Another Jane Doe decapitated female body, head recovered. And the final John Doe, like I said, they have, they've only definitely said 12, could have been as many as 20. This John Doe discovered at the same time as Jane Doe, male decapitated body, head was found in a can. Victim never identified. Dear God, this guy was... I can't even, dear Lord, we thought Ted Bundy was terrible. Wow. Wow. Now we'll go to some of these possible victims before we go to the the suspects here. Uh, this is... Some hard listening there, Bruiser Nation. Visit BruiserNationProductions.com for all our awesome content and links to our merch partners. There are several non-canonical victims commonly discussed in connection with the Torso Murderer. The first was nicknamed the Lady of the Lake. We've talked about her quite a bit and was found near Euclid Beach on the Lake Erie shore September 5th, 1934 at virtually the same spot as canonical victim number seven. Some researchers of the torso murderer's victims count the Lady of the Lake as victor number one or victim zero. That's very quite possible that that is one of his victims. It sounds like it is his M.O. 100%. It's just hard to prove something from, from so long ago. The headless body of an unidentified male was found in a boxcar in Newcastle, Pennsylvania on July 1st, 1936. Three headless victims were found in boxcars near McKee's Rocks, Pennsylvania on May 3rd, 1940. All bore similar injuries to those inflicted by the Cleveland killer. Dismembered bodies were also found in the swamps near Newcastle between the years 1921 and 1934 and between 1939 and 1942. In September 1940, an article in the Newcastle News refers to the killer as the murder swamp killer. The almost identical similarities between the victims in Newcastle to those in Cleveland, Ohio, coupled with the similarities between Newcastle's murder swamp and Cleveland's Kingsbury run, both of which were directly connected by a Baltimore and Ohio railroad line, were enough to convince Cleveland detective Peter Marylow that the Newcastle murders were the work of the mad butcher of Kingsbury run. Marylow was convinced the connection was the railroad that ran twice a day between the two cities. He often rode the rails undercover looking for clues to the killer's identity. So this dude, Mr. Mary Lou, this looks like 
Peter, Mary Lou, this really took up a big point of his life to try to catch this sadist, terrible serial killer and bring him to justice. And it's a, it's a shame that that they were never able to find out who it was. We still don't know who it was. And all that work was, I mean, for nothing really. July 22nd, 1950, the body of 41-year-old Robert Robertson was found in a business at 2138 Davenport Avenue in Cleveland. Police believed he had been dead six to eight weeks, appeared to have been intentionally decapitated. His death appeared to fit the profile of other victims. He was estranged from his family, had an arrest record and a drinking problem, and was on the fringes of society. Despite widespread newspaper coverage linking the murder to the crimes in the 1930s, detectives investigating Robertson's death treated it as an isolated crime. In 1939, the torso killer claimed to have killed a victim in Los Angeles, California. An investigator uncovered animal bones. Investigation, not investigator. This is uh, some heavy reading there, Bruiser Nation. This is this guy took advantage of the lowest of the low on the totem pole, people that were completely forgotten about in the Great Depression. That easy prey, no one would miss them. Someone missed them. Everyone's got family. This, I didn't expect it to go this. This quiet, wild, this fast on this edition of Bruce Cruz Podcast Macabre. Visit BruiserNationProductions.com for all our awesome content and links to our merch partners. Now we'll dive into the possible suspects before we finish up this episode of the Bruce Cruz Podcast. And like I said, I'm getting this information off Wikipedia. I don't know how much of this is 100% correct, but it's also fun to do slight research on what I want to talk about and and come to these realizations and learn these things at the same time that the Bruiser Nation does when they listen to the Bruce Cruz podcast on August 24th, 1939, a Cleveland resident named Frank Dolezal, 52, was arrested as a suspect in Florence Pololo's murder. He later died in suspicious circumstances in the Cuyahoga County Jail. Now, that could mean multiple things could have. Oh, hey there, Bruiser Nation. Raise those anchors and get ready to wear the official merch of Bruiser Nation Productions. Visit BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com and show the world your love of the Bruiser Nation as you go about your day in style. We have Bruce Cruz Podcast and to the turnbuckle tees, hoodies, jackets, shoes, bags, and even pillows. You heard that right. Pillows. That's BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com Once again, BruiserNationProductions.KinCustom.com And remember, Bruiser Nation, stay good because I'm always good. Thank you.
Hung himself could have gotten beaten to death by policemen or citizens that thought that he was for sure the murderer and they did a little frontier justice and tried to take care of the problem. Most investigators consider the last canonical murder to have been in 1938. One suspected individual was Dr. Francis E. Sweeney, born May 5, 1894. He was a veteran of World War I who was part of a medical unit that conducted amputations in the field. After the war, Sweeney became an alcoholic due to pathological anxiety and depression derived from his wartime experiences. What did I just say? Sweeney was later personally interviewed by Elliot Ness, who oversaw the official investigation into the killings in his capacity as Cleveland safety director. Before the interrogation, Sweeney was detained and he was found to be so intoxicated that he was held in a hotel room for three days until he sobered up. During this interrogation, Sweeney is said to have failed to pass two very early polygraph machine tests. Both tests were administered by polygraph expert at the time, Leonard Keeler, who told Ness he had his man. Ness apparently felt there was little chance of obtaining a successful prosecution of the doctor, especially as he was the first cousin of one of Ness's political opponents, Congressman Martin L. Sweeney. Well, there you go. You would wonder if politics would rear its ugly head into this. Who had, and he had hounded Ness publicly about his failure to catch the killer so you could see where Ness was coming from and not thinking he could get a conviction because Sweeney had attacked him and he would say that this is just an attack on Sweeney and his family. After Sweeney committed himself, there were no more leads or connections that police could assign to him as a possible suspect from his hospital confinement. Sweeney sent threatening postcards and harassed Ness and his family into the 1950s, and the postcards only stopped arriving after his death. Sweeney died in a veteran's hospital in Dayton on July 9, 1964. In 1997, another theory postulated that there may have been no single butcher of Kingsbury Run because the murders could have been committed by different people. This was based on the assumption that the autopsy results were inconclusive. First Cuyahoga County Coroner Arthur J. Pierce may have been inconsistent in his analysis as to whether the cuts on the bodies were expert or slapdash. Second, his successor, Samuel Gerber, began to enjoy press attention from his involvement in such cases as the the Sam Shepard murder trial, garnered a reputation for sensational theories. Therefore, the only thing known for certain was that all the murder victims were dismembered. So there's so many questions that I have. Like, what in the hell would drive someone to do something so incredibly heinous? And what, even if it was by more than one person, I mean, after reading this, I would almost say that that Dr. Sweeney was definitely would be on the top of my list too, not only from his, his wartime experiences, 
But, I mean, that'd drive a person crazy right there. Wild. Just wild, Bruiser Nation. Like, I have nothing, like... It's a shame that politics kind of got in the middle of this. Now, I don't know much about Sweeney or Elliot Ness for that matter, but it does seem like Ness was hesitant to prosecute because of who this doctor was related to and because of the public hounding that the congressman was giving Ness about not Catching the Killer. Few Things in Popular Culture, 1998-1999 comic book series Torso by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Andrico was based on the killings. 2018 film The Kingsbury Run was based on the murders. The murders and the hunt for the perpetrators were covered in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. That makes sense. Elliot Ness and the Mad Butcher hunting America's deadliest unidentified serial killer at the dawn of modern criminology by Max Allen Collins and A. Brad Swartz. That was published in August 4th of 2020. The Cleveland Torso Killer has been referenced in various episodes of Criminal Minds and the murders have been covered in an episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved. The Black Dahlia has also been perceived as quite possibly a a murder victim of this psychopath as a Los Angeles murder. And it looks like in Thames there were some torso murders, which is another series of murders in which the torsos of victims were left behind. This, I would like to say that I would hope that more than one person wasn't doing this shit. Like, that's wild as hell to think that not only one person could do all this, but that multiple people had this same feeling to do this to people around the same few decades. That's fucking wild well Bruiser Nation I told you it would get informative and a little macabro I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Bruce Cruise Podcast like I said we're changing formats just a little just a little bit No, we're still going to bring you pro wrestling for your ears just not as often just the big Big matches, just those big ones, like the first, well, the second match between Adam Hangman Page and Brian Danielson, the first night of Dynamite on TBS, probably the the TBS title tournament finals, and and we'll see what what else we call here on the Bruce Cruz podcast. But I just want to say we're we're not getting rid of pro wrestling for your ears. We just want to expand a little bit and 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 reach more people through the Bruce Cruz podcast. I'm going to work on a schedule. I'm going to say probably starting early February, I'm going to try to do some Twitch live streams so we can be a little bit more interactive together, really get to know each other. We're going to do it 
AMA and ask me anything. I'll, I'll do some more pod deck stuff. Like there's there's new stuff coming. We're trying to build Bruiser Nation Productions one step at a time. We got some growth. Like I said, thank you all my listeners in Germany, Ireland, around the United States and around the world. Thank you so much for bringing my voice to your ears. And as always, Bruiser Nation, even when there is something this terrible that's been happening forever, crazy ass murderers, stay good because I'm always good.